Welcome, dear readers. You're listening to Time to Read, a Winnipeg Public Library podcast book club. Welcome to part two of our conversation on books based on movies. Our listeners had so much to say on this topic that we couldn't fit it all in at once, so we didn't. Also, pay attention for another random poetry break at some point during the episode. Due to travel restrictions, I'd bet anything that my fellow palaces are all still on Treaty 1 territory and on land that is the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Cree, Oji Cree, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and the homeland of the Métis Nation. I'm Trevor Lockhart, branch head of the Louis Rail Library, and across the screen from me is... Hey, I'm Erica Ball. I'm the branch head at Fort Gary Library, and across the screen from me is... Hi, I'm Dennis, and I normally work in the Idea Mill. And across the screen from me is... Hi, my name's Kirsten, and normally you'd find me at the Harvey Smith Library. A good book can carry me away from an ever-engined ordinary day, yeah. So keep it down, leave me alone, close the doors and turn off the phone, cause all I Dear readers, we couldn't do this without you. It's your questions and comments that form the heart of our discussions. Email us at wpl-podcast at winnipeg.ca or find our friendly Facebook group, Time to Read. Find out if your comments made it on air by subscribing to Time to Read on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, and other fine podcasting services, or visit our website at wpl-podcast.winnipeg.ca. Well, here we are. Well, this is our first part two episode, I think. This is a historic moment for the Time to Read podcast. So many of us have been turning onto our screens during the uh, COVID-19 shutdown. Whether we've been using library resources like Canopy and Hoopla or online resources like YouTube or our favorite paid streaming services, we probably all spent way too much time watching movies these past few weeks. So here we are talking about books to movies. Before we just launch into that, I just wanted to go around. We're recording this on Tuesday after the May long weekend. And I just wanted to check in with you guys and just sort of see how did you guys spend the uh, this historic long weekend where we really couldn't do anything or go anywhere. Well, I was very happy to have the long weekend. Like, I know that everyone's saying, oh, like, I never remember what day it is. But to me, I really, it felt like a Friday on Friday. And I was happy that I was having, going to have three days off personally. So um, I just did lots of walking in my neighborhood. And uh, my son's pandemic project is um, starting all these seeds. So just being outside and helping with that. My own pandemic project is cross-stitching, so I've been doing lots of that. And also, good news, since um, my my dad hasn't been able to come home from Greece during this pandemic, but he finally got a flight home, so he should be home tomorrow night. So we were just gathering up food and stuff so that he'd have some food in the fridge. So, yeah. Yay. That's Yay. awesome. <laughs> That's good news. He, mm-hmm. he was there for a long time, eh? Yes, yes, yes. He was. I mean, he's super healthy. There weren't a lot of, you know, cases there, but it'll be very nice to have him home. Well, we won't be able to see him for two weeks because he'll be in quarantine, but it'll yeah. still be nice to know Maybe. that he's here. Exactly. Yeah. We spent the time rearranging our backyard. Oh, um, very nice. So, yeah, we like pulled everything out of the shed and moved the shed and all this stuff. We've had it the same way for like 10 years. So it's like really bizarre to have it different. 
but it was an excuse to be outside a lot and like rethink you know where we're putting the vegetables and all that stuff that we might be doing so it's nice to be outside and nice to think about those things as well you know like vegetables and growing and sunshine and yeah Yeah. where's the shade well because then then the other thing was that crazy storm in october took down half of the little tree so it's totally different back there right now in terms of Mm. where the shade is where the sun is Take a while to get used to. Just another thing that's totally different now. That's uh, right. <laughs> but, yeah. My wife and I decided we wanted to go for a walk in the park. And we went to Kildonan Park, but it was really crowded. So we went to a smaller, lesser-known park where we could walk freely and just did some cross-country walking for a while. Oh, nice. Did yeah. you walk your cat? Um, I do that, too. But uh, that's just in the yard. She doesn't <laughs> okay. get very far. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Well, I know some people have been who are crafty have turned to do doing crafts during this time. Uh, that's not me, but my wife Marla is very crafty, and it makes me think back to that line in "Where'd You Go, Bernadette?" where if someone isn't creating, they'll become a menace to society. And I think that uh, <laughs> applies to uh, Marla as well. So during the uh, no. well d- during the pandemic, she has decided to make paper mache puppets. And I'm I'm very happy to reveal them, although, of course, this is on a podcast, so we'll have to put pictures up on our uh, social media. But we, she made podcast puppets of one of each of us. Uh, oh, so, my gosh. So uh, I'll just hold them up to the screen so you guys can see them. This is Erica. Um, oh, my gosh. Of course it's Erica. Yeah. And so Before she with, shaved her head. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, she may have a little bit more hair down the road, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I can see if Marla can do a like a has shorter she, haircut yeah. version. No, she's, no. Yeah, she's hedged her bets. It's going to be short. It's going to be short. I have and, blue uh, glasses. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. Here's uh, here's Dennis. So uh, he's... Uh, <gasps> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Looks, so it's good. like looking in the mirror. It looks like... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although, yeah. And uh, oh, the glasses. God, those are amazing. And here's uh, Kirst- oh. uh, uh, Kirsten. Oh, Kirsten, you look cool with the wild hair, gray wild hair. speckled hair. Yeah. Love and it. Marla was a little. I worried. look like a witch. Well, Marla was a little worried because you said when she asked what color clothes you wear, you said black. So she did honor that with the black, <laughs> but she also gave you kind of a funky nineteen seventies little polka dot number uh, here too. So nice. she's, like, I don't, she's like, I don't know, if Kirsten would actually wear that. I'm like, it's okay, it's a puppet. But yeah, so <laughs> puppet Kirsten would. Yeah. <laughs> and then here's and here's here's me, uh, which has oh my god. Kind of crazy hair and uh, glasses and stuff so um, who knows maybe, maybe our <laughs> listeners can come up with thoughts of how we're going to use them we we have a few ideas of how we might want to use these guys so anyway that's that's what happens when a creative Love person it. is locked inside for two months uh, so. amazing. amazing well done Marla <laughs> so good thank you Marla applause uh, applause so exciting <laughs> So I mean I, I don't know how we uh, I don't know how we follow that up except to switch gears slightly <laughs> no, we're done. and talk That's about it. movies and adaptations. Yeah, right last the first part of this episode we spent exclusively talking about the Hound of the Baskervilles and different versions of Sherlock Holmes over the last hundred years or so. But just generally speaking, we had lots of our uh, listeners write in about their feelings on movies that have been based on books and that kind of thing. So. Um, what do you guys think just generally, like what makes a good adaptation or a bad one? Or, you know, do we like them? Do we care? What, what's, what, <laughs> what, 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 what are your thoughts? This might be a really short episode. <laughs> oh, no, I, I think we'll have plenty to say. Yeah, I tend um, to sort of avoid films that have been 
made out of books that I really like because I just I just worry um, especially if I think how are they possibly going to actually represent this book like I never did see water for chocolate because I just thought mm. you know I, I just can't see how it's going to be a you know a, a, a movie but I think the ones that do involve the author or the writer they do yeah. tend to be a bit better um, the adaptations just from my yeah. limited uh, viewings. I think similarly, if some movies, especially uh, made from novels, would actually be better not as movies, but as miniseries. Mm-hmm. Because novels, by definition, have so much more content than a movie. So I think a lot of the problems that you have when you're adapting to a movie is just time constraints. But the other thing is that it does have to be an actual adaptation. You have to have a really good understanding of what the book is about, and not just necessarily like the plot points, in order to adapt it to it has to be its own thing, as well as being somehow true to the book. And that's mm. where having the author around is maybe crucial. Yeah, 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 I think so too. I think one of the things I always try to keep in mind when I'm seeing an adaptation of something I like is that an adaptation is never the original. And it cannot be because the medium is entirely different. Some things will work better in one medium than another. And some things are just impossible to translate over. Sometimes something that I like about a book is just the way the author writes, Mm -hmm. you know, like uh, if you read Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird, a big part of what I liked about that book was the way she wrote. And even though the movie adaptation is generally well regarded, it's nowhere near what the book was because it can't be. Um, So as long as I always go into it remembering this is a different thing, it may bear a lot of similarity to another thing that I like, but it's not the same thing and Mm -hmm. I have to judge it on its own merits. Uh, it helps a bit. <laughs> yeah. But when you really like something, it's very hard to separate from that, you know? Although I will say, too, like, one of the one of the things I've found interesting, I've heard it said that a, a good book will make a bad movie, and a bad book can make a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> mm. And oh. I, I've I had a few examples of where authors that I like, they're my least favorite books of theirs are also my favorite movie adaptations of their work. Huh. So, <laughs> so some things are just better suited for one or the other. Or yeah. maybe involving an, a second person as a screenwriter or something actually enhances the story. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Could be. Yeah. Because yeah. that's the other thing about adaptations. Like, I don't actually like super strict adaptations that are exactly to the source. Yeah. Because un- unless they're adding something to it, like when, like, What's the uh, point? yeah, Jeremy Brett's version of Hound of the Baskervilles, I liked because it stuck to the original, but their performances and uh, the scenes and settings and everything made it more accessible to me and connected me to it in a way that the book alone hadn't. Hmm. You know, so there, a strict adaptation can work as long as there's something more to it. But um, I've seen other movies that tried to be very strict, and I thought, well, I read the book already. Why do I (laughs) – Yeah. if you're not adding anything to it, yeah. Yeah. I think for me, the only time that I really wish uh, a movie adaptation to be super faithful to the book is if it's based on a book that I'm never planning on reading, but I still kind of want to know the story. So, so then I, and I feel like I, I can talk, you know, I can sound smart about it. And then they're like, Oh, that guy read that book. That guy read war and peace, you know, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> great Gatsby. Exactly. Good point. <laughs> the, the Baz Luhrmann version. Yeah, that was Leo. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so here's, I just wanted to pick up on something that you said about how, uh, movies that have the author involved, uh, tend to be better than movies that don't. And I, 
I think that generally is true. I'm thinking of like William Goldman being involved with the Princess Bride, and I know that's uh, the first the one I thought of too. Yeah, and Paul Irving. Um, no, sorry, John Irving. <laughs> Paul Irving. <laughs> John Irving wrote the screenplay for Cider House Rules, his own novel, which I think is one of my favorite adaptations of a John Irving novel. It's uh, is great. But then the opposite is also true because they are different skill sets. And so someone that's a good novelist isn't necessarily a good screenwriter. I mean, the Venn diagram does probably overlap quite a bit, but I'm thinking famously of this movie from the early 80s called Maximum Overdrive. And it was right at the height of, a Stephen, <laughs> of Stephen King's popularity as a horror novelist. And so they thought, well, Stephen King, he can't go wrong. Uh, let's just let him do everything. So he adapted one of his own short stories called Trucks. Yeah, I think it was in the Night Shift uh, collection. And not only did they let him just you know adapt the screenplay but they said well why don't you also direct the movie and uh wow. he did <laughs> and he did and it's it's terrible it's terrible <laughs> so i mean maybe that's the exception you do need other voices yeah, yeah that's the exception that might prove sometimes the yeah like i was thinking about indian horse by richard wagamese and that's quite a good movie richard wagamese was involved he didn't write the screenplay, but he was very involved. Um, he reviewed the draft of the screenplay and he offered lots of sort of notes and approval on language and that kind of thing. And, um, I think actually he died before it was green before seeing the final product. And also it, it seems like more and more films are also, um, getting a lot of sort of these creative consultants on films as well when they're at ad- adapting books. So um, I thought like something like Indian Horse or The Lesser Blessed by Richard Van Camp, they're really good examples of book to movie adaptations because the authors were involved. I don't think Richard Van Camp wrote the screenplay either, but they were just really, really involved. And then they were really excited about the movie as well because they could see where it was going. So like you were saying, Erica, that they they knew that the movie had the feel of the book and, and yeah. what they were trying to depict. So those are two movies that I think actually are good adaptations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm in, excited to see um, Eden Robinson's Trickster Drift because she's yeah. also yeah. Really, really involved too. So and yeah. that's going to be a mini yeah, series, right? Good. Like what Erica was saying, sometimes the mini series is the way to go, and especially with a wackadoo series like the uh, the Trickster series, I just can't wait to see what they do with it. It's going to be yeah, it's pretty be awesome. fun. Mm-hmm. I wanted to jump back to what Kirsten was saying just now about the author being involved, and the one thing that you know it could be very difficult for an author to be involved in their novel project, like being turned into a movie, like you figure, and maybe difficult to work with them too, because this must be very close, like it's very close and personal to them. I wanted to mention uh, The Princess Bride, which was actually sent to me by by Shira. She had mentioned The Princess Bride as her top book to movie pairing. And I'd also just recently read Carrie Elwise's memoir on the filming of Princess Bride. And there's a whole section in there about William Goldman just being super nervous the whole time on set because the book meant so much to him personally. And he was worried about how it was going to be done, even though people kept you know, like reassuring him and all this stuff. And I think it was very, very difficult for him to be involved. But he felt like he had to be involved if that movie was to be made. And the other thing yeah. about Princess Bride is that it's the only book where I think you should see the movie before you read the book. Hmm. Because if you can picture the characters as acted out in the movie while you're reading the extra parts in the book... It makes the book that much better. So, yes. 
Yeah, one of the things that relates to what you're saying, Erica, is that uh, a book often is a solitary and creative endeavor. Yeah. You know, the author by themselves, or sometimes they collaborate, but most novels are written by individual authors. So it's your vision entirely, maybe with some feedback from an editor or uh, some other type of feedback, but it's your work and you control it. Whereas a movie is a collaborative effort where you've got the writer, but you've also got the producer, the director, uh, all the other actors who are going to put their imprint on it. It's going to go through so many hands and so many rewrites, it will never be how it started. Yeah. And maintaining a singular vision through it is extremely difficult, so it doesn't happen. It's That's one of the, another reason why these are very different kinds of works when you approach them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it must be very nerve-wracking. We had a couple of yeah. people on um, Instagram who said that Pride and Prejudice was their favorite book to movie yes. adaptation, but Siggy Nick actually said it was the 1995 BBC version that they liked best. And they said um, what they liked was that the dialogue was lifted right from the book. Um, yeah. Yeah. So when we were talking about, yeah, sort of direct, we don't normally assume that a movie is going to be, you know, a direct adaptation, but that is one. But then Sun and Sky 2 also said Pride and Prejudice was their favorite. But they said that their favorite was the 2005 version with Kira oh, Knight- Knightley. Yeah. So yeah, I was just gonna ask which versions. Mm-hmm. So and I like I Pride and Prejudice. I mean, okay, Pride and Prejudice. But I think, and I will always maintain that Sense and Sensibility is a superior <laughs> story and the superior movie to any of those Emma Thompson's adaptation of Sense and Sensibility cannot be beat. So well, in 1995, just I so I could disagree with everyone, Jane Austen. Because I think that was the year that the Sense of Sensibility came out, and also the year that the BBC version of Pride and Prejudice did as well. And there's a bit of chatter on our Facebook group page about Pride and Prejudice as well. We had a couple people weigh in, and it was, and it was similarly, it was split. Carrie had to say that, of course, the um, 1995 BBC production is the one, and that's a miniseries, for the Derek's point. Mm. But then Selena wrote in to say that the 2005 version is uh, her pick. And then she she adds a note saying, Matthew McFadden is the best Darcy, and I will go down with this ship. So, <laughs> so we're not going to convince Selena anything else. Uh, I don't even know if I've seen that version. That's the Kira Knightley version. So I don't, yeah. I don't know if yeah. I've seen it. I've definitely seen mm. the 95 version. You should. I mean, it's fine. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, well, according words. to Selena, Selena, it's the best. I don't want to. I don't want to disagree with her at all. So. She's tough. Speaking of uh, movie adaptations, where they take a lot of the dialogue straight from the original work, mm-hmm. uh, I got to put a shout out to Kenneth Branagh yeah. for his Shakespeare adaptations. As, when I was in high school, you know, I, I had a lot of trouble connecting to Shakespeare's plays when we were reading them. And then to, they showed us the BBC Shakespeare plays recorded as video. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that I never connected with those either. But Kenneth Branagh's take on Shakespeare always managed to draw me in, even though he's using the dialogue and... Uh, you know, it's just the way the performances were given, the the direction, the you know, everything else. It really made it much more alive for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and that's I think a tough thing to do with something like Shakespeare, where it's you know you're separated by several hundred years in terms mm-hmm. of culture and language. But he does it. You know, is it with the Zeffirelli's Romeo and Juliet? Is that who directed yeah, Frank, Romeo yeah, Frank, and Juliet? Frank with Zeffirelli. Yeah. yeah. 
That was a good version. I remember watching that in high school and being like, yeah, I like it. I like this Shakespeare. Which one was I, that? That's one with Olivia Hutton. Uh, yeah, yeah. And whoever played Romeo, who I just thought was dreamy, and you saw his bare bum. You do. Which was like, <laughs> oh. I feel like they had just discovered Technicolor because all the costumes were super bright. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then there was that one one song because it was the music too that was uh, that you know that actually yeah we should talk about that too music being music. you know I- introduced into movies and the movie adaptations and how that can really influence how well, you was, take on the content yeah yeah that was one of the funniest things about watching all the different versions of Hound of the Baskervilles yeah. is because the music was totally in sync with the time it was made for each of them. Yeah. Like yeah. down to the, like the future, like the kind of futuristic, like, like 90s or whatever it was. <laughs> Melodramatic sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Dennis, I'm so glad you mentioned those BBC productions of Shakespeare because uh, I'm old enough to remember when the library had them on VHS in these giant <laughs> beige vinyl cases that were super like unremarkable looking. They were they were like the bowling shoes of video cases. And I remember I remember taking one home because and this is how it all ties together. Jeremy Brett played uh, Macbeth in one of the versions. And I, like, I have to see this. And I put it on. I was like, oh, this is going to be so awesome. It's Jeremy Brett, Sherlock Holmes, best Sherlock Holmes. He's going to be he's gonna be Macbeth. He's going to be stabbing people. And I put it on. And I think they just had like a fixed camera, like at the back of the theater, a uh, very wide angle shot. I could hardly make out it was Jeremy Brett. Uh, I, could, I could tell it was his voice. And then I, maybe I watched about three minutes of it. And I was like, oh, can't, can't do it. So, yeah, uh, I feel your pain, Dennis. Yeah. Another old, old but gold um, says uh, <laughs> Beirut's favorite is Trial by Kafka, um, which is was directed by Orson Welles. But he says, yeah, or they oh. say old but gold oh. Trial by Kafka. Yeah. That would be crazy. I would mm-hmm. watch that. Yeah. yeah. That'd be some interesting music. In that one, I think. Yeah. <laughs> what was that Orson Welles movie that began with that steady cam shot? In it was like this kind of Mexican like border town, Touch of Evil, I think it was called, and like the camera never cuts away. It was like, it was like very groundbreaking for its time because it, it was like you know Scorsese and everyone afterwards you know likes to do the steady cam, but to have uh, Orson Welles do it, and that was back before special effects, so they actually did have like a guy and a camera and probably on a horse or something. I don't know how they did it, but it, yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's great. It's very hard to stay steady cam on a, on a horse. <laughs> it's more like a, a gallop a cam. <laughs> hey, you know what? I think this feels like a pretty good time for a poetry break. My Lone Ranger by Trevor Greyhounds. My Lone Ranger would have a speech impediment. For example, he would say haltingly, Tanto, me want to know why me talk like this. The psychic would reply, Kimo sabe, big heap damage in first act to broker area, brain. Ranger then asks, Tanto, then why you big heap talk like that too? The reply, Kimo sabe, bad scriptwriter. Well, that was that was a good poetry uh, break. I sure enjoyed that. <laughs> How are you guys doing? Good. Yeah, good. I have a few more. Are we going to talk about ones? 
going to talk about ones that we don't think were good. Uh, sure. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Sort of. I could start off by apparently Selena, the same person from Facebook who is a Matthew McFadden fan, says that um, the Hall of Shame uh, should go towards World War Z, or I suppose if we're in Canada, World War Z. It took all the multiple story perspectives that made the book interesting and turned it into a generic action hero zombie flick. So that's her take on a very bad adaptation. Yeah, wouldn't Jennifer agreed saying that the same thing, World War Z, but also added a wrinkle in time to... Oh, I never saw that. As least favorite. Yeah. Regarding World War Z, too, um, the best adaptation so far is the audio cassette version and if you've read the book but you haven't listened to the audio version, listen to the audio version because it's multicast. Uh, it includes Mark Hamill, amongst others, and it's really well done. And this is a good example of a book that should be turned into a miniseries because mm. uh, it really deserves so much better. Like The only thing the movie had in common was the name and that it had zombies. So that was heartbreaking that they took something so good and then just used the name. And, yeah, really. And fun fact, the author of it, Max Brooks, is the son of uh, legendary comedian Mel Brooks. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Speaking um, of adaptations where they basically only use the title, Stephen King is like the king of adaptations that have gone both ways. Uh, <laughs> there have been some good ones and some bad ones. But The Lawnmower Man, which was a Stephen King short story, it didn't have a lot of material in it, so you'd wonder, how would you turn this into a movie? Well, the way they turned it into a movie was they cast Pierce Brosnan, who was the only bright spot, and then they went off in a completely different direction, had one scene that was maybe slightly reminiscent of the movie, or or of the book, of the story. And, yeah, it, it was utterly terrible. It was so bad that Stephen King successfully sued to have his name taken off the movie, Whoa. That's the the only previous time an author has success, succeeded in that kind of a thing was 1922. So this is not a common thing. And he got $2.5 wow. million as a settlement for damaging his work. Wow. Despite the ruling, yeah, <laughs> Despite the ruling, New Line Cinema released the home video version as Stephen King's The Lawnmower Man, and they were held in contempt of court. <laughs> it's Whoa. one of the only film adaptations of his work that is not listed on Stephen King's website. Huh. So that was bad. Yeah. And the other one I got to put forward is uh, another short story by Stephen King, The Box, which is a lovely short story. And the movie adaptation starts off with that story, but it's not enough material to sustain uh, an entire film. So they just went off in this really weird direction. And my wife and I watched this movie to the end because we kept thinking, this can't possibly get any worse. <laughs> <laughs> And we were wrong. It just kept oh, getting no. worse, oh, despite goodness. some excellent actors in it. It was just a terrible film. So, yeah. Oh, that's too <laughs> Stephen bad. Stephen King's adaptations. Well, you know, Dennis, that's such a good point. Like, we were talking about how movies don't live up to the book because sometimes there's so much in the book that you can't pare it down and still keep the essence of the book. But you also have the example of a short story, which is itself a thin, short, just a, a taste of something, and then they have to bloat it up to make that 90-minute yeah. running mark. And so the ones I thought of, uh, first of all, were like those horrible uh, <laughs> live-action Dr. Seuss movies, like The Cat in the Hat and The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, yeah. or like the where, yeah. you know, it's just like, no. Like, it doesn't not make, enough story there. No, it, those yeah. are never meant to be 90-minute movies, no. you know, with fart jokes or whatever. Like, no, it's just no Dr. Seuss and, wouldn't um, go for that. 
like the supersized version of that is the Hobbit. And like, oh, I always, yeah. I liked seeing it. I liked seeing it visually, but they have like, they made way too many hours of movie from that and, and had to pull in all kinds of things that were in the Cimmerillion or elsewhere that were not the Hobbit at all. So that was also one of the things there. They just wanted to use the name of the Hobbit and tell, but tell, you know, different stories. I also wanted to mention the time traveler's wife because Denise sent me on Facebook that she enjoyed the book, but the movie was a stinker. So I haven't, I haven't seen that, but, but there you go. Yeah. Speaking of The Hobbit, when Peter Jackson made his version of Lord of the Rings, that was a film that for a long time, like it had been considered almost unfilmable. Yeah. Like that trilogy of books, it, it was just too much material, too complex to film. And he made a very good film mm-hmm. uh, or a series of films. And then with The Hobbit, it seemed like the idea was, well, let's make The Hobbit, but let's make it even bigger Mm-hmm. And more impressive than the Lord of the Rings. And Lord it's like, of the Rings well, two point oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's like, no. but it's the wrong type of story. The Hobbit was a very different kind of story. And to convert that into a massive mega epic the way they did was Such a, a bad travesty. Idea. Oh, and the other one that I waited for a long time and then was ultimately disappointed by was Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card. Because Ender's Game is a great book. And I guess similar to Lord of the Rings, it requires a certain amount of visual effects. Because it mostly takes place in space. And then, uh, yeah, we were really excited when the movie was coming out. And then the movie came out and it was just sort of like, eh. It didn't really mm. match the tone of the book or the, the the lessons in the book. It was just sort of shiny and I don't know. Yeah, that's sort of... It was fine. Um, I mean, it, with a very different genre, but with uh, Never <laughs> Let Me Go by uh, Ishiguro, uh, who wrote Remains of the Day. And Never Let Me Go, like, it's this sort of sort of dystopian kind of sci-fi about these three children who are raised to be donors or carers of donors. So it's about like um, donating organs after death. And I mean, and it explores a lot of sort of dark kind of themes and who gets to live, who dies, you know, that kind of those kind of big societal kind of questions. And the movie, which was enjoyable and was well done and had like Carrie Mulligan and Kira Knightley and Andrew Garfield, but it was super melodramatic and it really focused on the romance so it became this romantic movie instead of really kind of looking at sort of some of those darker more interesting themes of the book so i don't know if sometimes they just want to they want to also just make money off of the movie you know so they knew that a romance would sell better and still uses the story because that's quite interesting but yeah i was sort of disappointed by that yeah yeah well, by mentioning uh, romance, you know an author that did get a surprisingly large amount of love on Facebook, who has written a string of books and had a, a string of, I'd say, moderately successful films, is Nicholas Sparks. Amanda, yeah. Amanda on Facebook says that she loved reading A Walk to Remember and enjoyed the movie just as much. And reading that comment made me think of this thing I saw on the internet a few years ago. I had to look it up. It was called the Nicholas Sparks Plot Generator. And I found it. <laughs> and it was on BuzzFeed way back in 2014. It's still good. So I thought, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to create a Nicholas Sparks plot. So uh, the first thing it asks you to do is to pick a, a pretty white man. Now, I don't know if it means a man who is pr- like pretty, like a, like a, like a good looking man, or he's pretty white. But I think it's, <laughs> it qualifies for both. So I, so I, so, and they give you a list of six you could choose. So I picked Bradley Cooper. And then a pretty white woman. 
Again, not sure if it's a pretty woman who's white or a pretty white woman. So Amy Adams. So those are my two. And then I had to pick out of six pictures of rain. I had to pick a picture of rain. So I picked a nice one that had a little bit of a boat in the background. And then I had to pick... I obviously had to pick a character to die because someone always dies in the obviously. Party. And the choice was a parent, the couple, an old person, the third wheel, the dog, or the guy. I almost went with the dog, but then I thought, well, Erica would not appreciate that, so I went with the guy. <laughs> then I had to pick a John Wick cry- would not appreciate that. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I'm afraid. And then pick a crying face. So there were six pictures of people crying. So <laughs> the only guy I kind of recognized was the guy from Dawson's Creek. I don't know even know his name, but I picked him. And then James pick, Vanderbeek? Uh, yeah, it might have been. Yeah. Oh, because it's that meme, some, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I had to pick some <laughs> oh, handwriting, yeah. uh, like specific handwriting sample. So there, I picked one that was kind of like all caps. It was a little bit of a slant. And I had to pick out a house. They were all mansions. So I just picked one that kind of looked like Southern. And then I had to pick a kiss. Again, there were six pictures of people kissing. The only one I recognized was the upside-down kiss between Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dutz from Spider-Man. So I picked that. So then I hit the, hit the generate button. And uh, this is what my plot is. The movie is called The Only Kiss. Rich girl Samantha and poor boy Harrison meet at a carnival one summer's day. They fall in love instantly because they're soulmates. They spend one perfect day together, but then Samantha's evil rich father drags her away. Harrison tries to track her down, but Samantha's evil rich mother blocks his attempts. Twenty years later, Harrison is dying of cancer and finally finds Samantha, who is now married. But she can't resist her first love, and they go on a boat ride together. It starts raining, so they kiss and have sex. Harrison dies in Samantha's arms, and she vows never to kiss anyone again. That's why wow. they only kiss. So, wait, wait, watch so, that's that a movie. blockbuster. So uh, I'll, we'll, we'll share with it the link to the uh, Nicholas Sparks plot uh, generators on our uh, notes page. And it's it's hours of fun during the pandemic. That's amazing. So the upside down kiss equals sex in mm-hmm. this generator? I think, <laughs> like, I, think I did it a couple of times and sex I was oh, appears. Okay. Sex is oh, inevitable. Wow. So I don't know what the upside down <laughs> kiss had to do. But yeah, there's another one called the, the the this river has water or something. I I didn't like it as much. I like this one where the guy they go for a oh boat my ride. Gosh. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, sounds about right. <laughs> and then he dies in her arms. And then he yeah. Dies. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you think he died of cancer on no. the boat? Well, I guess he does die on of cancer the boat? <laughs> in her arms. Yeah, on the boat. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. I haven't really, fl- I haven't really fleshed out the details. This is more of a treatment than an actual um, script. Was so. it immediate? Was it four years later? Who's to say? <laughs> to borrow a Trevorism, who's to say? Who's to say? You might be wondering why we uh, think this is a topic. Um, did you know that uh, before the pandemic, Millennium Library had a series, an in-person series called Book to Film, where they would show on a Sunday afternoon a movie that one time was based on a book. And another interesting fact is that Erica was in on the beginning of that program, and she picked the first movie that was based from a book. Did you want to tell uh, everybody, Erica, what that movie was? Uh, yes, it was the classic adaptation of a book that nobody really knows as a book, but the movie is very well known. It's called Die Hard. <gasps> I had I had Shark no idea Die Hard was based on a book. I had to look it up. It's based on something called Nothing Lasts Forever by Roderick Thorpe. And it made me think there are bit, there are other movies out there that are based on books that we just never knew about. So I put together a list of uh, ones that I was surprised by. You can tell me whether you guys are surprised too. Clueless, based on Jane yeah. Austen's Emma. Oh, right. Yes, I knew that. Oh, right, yeah. right, right. Mean Girls. 
is based on a nonfiction work about uh, teen girl behavior called Queen Bees and Wannabes by Rosalind Wiseman. Mm-hmm. And uh, this one, Field of Dreams, one of my favorite uh, movies of all time, yes. is based on a novel, Shoeless Joe, by W.P. Kinsella. And W.P. Kinsella, when we talked earlier about authors being involved in movies and not being involved, he had kind of a tough go of it. Uh, he was sort of involved with Field of Dreams. He was, he was, he was okay with Field of Dreams. But a couple years later, um, one of his short stories called Lieberman in Love was adapted into a short film. They actually won the Oscar for uh, Best Live Short, but he didn't even know it was adapted until he was watching the Oscars on TV <gasps> from home. Uh, oh, he wasn't, no. He wasn't, he wasn't listed in the credits. He wasn't thanked in the acceptance speech. And he's just all like, WTF. And apparently... Yeah, I'll uh, say. Yeah, and so a, a couple days later in Variety, the, the, the filmmakers took out a, a full-page uh, apology to him for that. But it makes you think, like, how, how could that have happened? Yeah. That's terrible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Shame. Yeah. Shame on them. But, um, so. Since you mentioned Die Hard right at the beginning, uh, another movie in this list is Die Hard 2, which was adapted <laughs> from the novel 58 Minutes by Walter Wager. Whoa. So. Yay, Die Hard! <laughs> Best Christmas movie ever! Um, and then I just remembered, I really, I have to mention a man called Ove. Um, oh. because the, the movie version, the book is amazing. The movie version is amazing. However, you can get it. Check out a man called Ove. Hmm. So good. You guys got anything else? Well, I, I did want to put a special mention into a couple of my favorite adaptations that we didn't cover yet. Oh, for sure. So we'd mentioned before that some books really should be series. Some of my favorite adaptations have been. So uh, I, I've enjoyed the books uh, in the Dexter series by Jeff Lindsay. Hmm. which is about a serial killer who only kills other serial killers. It was turned into a TV series starring Michael C. Hall. There are a lot of differences in the characters and plot lines between both of them. And some I like better in the book and some I like better in the TV series, but I like both of them about the same, which I think is uh, pretty good for an adaptation. You know, it gives you new things to find, but uh, still things you can complain about if you want to. <laughs> Another thing that went that way was uh, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. I'm a big fan of Douglas Adams' work in general. This one has been adapted a couple of times. Uh, BBC America did a TV version in 2016 that I watched on Netflix, and it's an absolute gem. It has nothing to do with the original stories, but the character of Dirk Gently is there, and it has all the right notes, the tone, the uh, surrealist, uh, ridiculous kind of universe that they inhabit. It's really good. It's obviously made by people who really liked and uh, cared about the original vision. And while I'm talking about Douglas Adams, i got to put in a special note for The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, there was a movie version in 2005 that had Martin Freeman as Arthur Dent. Yeah! <laughs> Dr. Watson. I don't know why he did I, that weird voice, but I like <laughs> Martin Freeman. That was, a, that, was a, that was a cheering voice, yeah. <laughs> when it came out, they, uh, some of the criticism I heard of it was that it had taken liberties with the book. And I thought that was hilarious because uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy has been adapted numerous times mostly by the author, Douglas Adams, and each version is radically different from the version before. It's part of the character of the story, and uh, it's essential to it almost. And he had a hand in the movie version. Yeah. So you can't really criticize them for not 
sticking no. to the source material because the source material is this warping, constantly changing mass that you can't grab onto. Um, I wonder if I, we I, should should we do Hitchhiker's Guide for a future podcast? Oh, I would love to do Hitchhiker's Guide. That would be good. I reread that one every, I don't know, five or so years. Uh, so good. It's a great series. I just wanted to say one, another one of our listeners, Sarah.Larouche on Instagram said that her favorite book to movie is Il Pleuvait des Oiseaux by Jocelyn Associer. English translation and the birds rain down. And I did recognize the title because I've seen it just come over the, the counter. She just was really raving about it. And so I looked up just the trailer and it's a Quebec film. It's just a new film from 2019 about a group of older adults that are living off the grid, like hidden in a remote forest. And I watched the trailer. And just from that, I was like, oh my gosh, I want to read this book. I want to read, I want to watch this movie. It looked so excellent. So I put the book on hold, the electric, the uh, ebook. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to trying to find access to, to the movie. It looked really, really good. So uh, thanks, Sarah, for that uh, recommendation. Yay! We love getting recommendations. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, before we move on to anything else, I did want to also mention the last person who just contacted me on Facebook, Laura. Her top two picks are Everything is Illuminated, uh, which was amazing, and Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, which um, also amazing. So thanks, Laura. Hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I do so have a, a couple more. Yeah, Facebook messages. I'll just uh, read out quickly. Sophie Furby wrote in. And Sophie! Said, Sophie, yeah. She said how she loved, loved, loved the audiobook adaptation of The Tale of Despero, but the movie version of the book could be described with one important word, perfidy, which I think is oh. betrayal or deceit. Oh. I, I think that's a word that comes up in the, in, in the story. So yeah, I, I haven't seen the movie uh, There's our nerd word for. Yeah, <laughs> Sophie's provided our nerd word for our nerd wordless episode, and then I thought yeah. we should give the final comment to our old pal uh, Alan Shorney, who wrote in. And so, be prepared mm. to disagree with Alan. Erica. I <laughs> Alan says, uh, "I don't think you can have this conversation without talking about Susan Orlean's The Orchid Thieves adaptation." when it was adapted into Charlie and Donald Kaufman's uh, movie adaptation. Are, are you guys familiar with this movie at all from 2002? I think. Um, yes. Yes. I watched it. Yeah. I saw it in the theater and I was trying to remember all of it, but it's a very <laughs> meta film where Charlie yes. Kaufman is a real life person screenwriter and he had writer's block trying to adapt the Orchid Thief. It's like an unadaptable novel, and he spent years doing it. And I think eventually he just got the idea, well, why don't I write a screenplay about the, the trouble of adapting this book into a into a movie? And then he invented a twin brother character, Donald Kaufman, who is also played, they're both played by Nicolas Cage uh, in the movie. And then Meryl Streep plays Susan Orlean, the author, and Chris Cooper plays the, the, the titular Orchid Thief. And, uh, but none of it is really based on reality. It goes off on this crazy and it's like typical Andy Kaufman script. It's great. I, I think it's definitely worth a, a rewatch. I think it's time for a rewatch because I remember watching it and just thinking like, what is happening through most of it? Like I do with most of, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Charlie Kaufman's scripts. So, yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure that what Alan does and has always done is gone into all of my past statements 
and choose chosen deliberately the things that I don't like and then brings <laughs> them up again because that's all I'm gonna say. Right. So 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 without saying so, we think we know how what you feel about adaptation. So <laughs> it was a long time ago that I watched it. Maybe I should watch it again. But I think once again, I you know, in true form to our relationship, I completely disagree with Alan about everything. <laughs> well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have. This, uh, <laughs> thank you so much, Thanks for writing readers, in, for Alan. In. Get we on miss you. in the conversation by finding us on Facebook or emailing us at wpl-podcast at winnipeg.ca. Is there a topic you'd like to hear us discuss on a future special episode? Let us know! We'd love it if you'd hit subscribe in iTunes. Why are you yelling? I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. We'd love it if you hit subscribe in iTunes or your favorite podcast service. We'd love it even more if you were to give us a rate and review. Uh, and if you missed Nerd Words and Book Recs, just uh, hang on to next episode when we'll be back talking, I don't know, about Little Women, which has had a bajillion yes. adaptations. Uh, and one very yeah. good recent one. Exactly right. <laughs> let's, save, let's save that talk for next time. And until next time... <laughs> Make sure you find time, time to read. To read. <laughs>Always make that one weird. It's the delay. We're trying to make it easy for you, Dennis, to sync us all up. So if we talk super slow, we figure you can overlap. No, us. no, no, no. If you just if you just talked in a normal tone of voice, I, I don't go in and re-edit everyone's position in the queue. I, and then, I thought, and I then thought we you, all like, like, put like, our faces. Yeah, we all get super close. I, I thought you were like auto tune, so we're all like exactly. <laughs> Obviously, I never listened to the end of the episode. I never know how it sounds.